0: Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast, All Things College Golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. My guest today on Better Than I Found It is University of Kansas women's coach, Lindsey Cool, An eight-time conference coach of the year at two different schools, Lindsay enters her third year at KU, and in her time there, her teams have set numerous program records and gained their highest national ranking in program history. She's one of the great young coaches in the game today and i'm honored that she agreed to appear on better than i found it enjoy the listening okay better than i found it listeners let's give a big shout out and welcome to head women's golf coach at the university of kansas lindsay cool lindsay thanks for taking the time to join me today this is a special treat for me
1: yes thank you so much mike um it's just an honor to be on your podcast today i've, I've listened ever since your first one. So it's an honor to be on it. Thanks for asking me.
0: Wow. A loyal listener. I love them. You know, I've got a small group. It's not that big, but it's pretty loyal. They they seem to hang in there and I've enjoyed this podcast. And as I'm going to talk about a little bit later, I learned something from every guest, whether it be a coach, a tour player, a former player, whatever it is, uh, I, I tend to learn something, some little nugget that I can use for what I'm doing here in Waco. Uh, you know, We've, this is uh, going to air during Thanksgiving week, so we're just Thanksgiving is this coming week, next week, and I think it's a good time to reflect. All coaches have a lot to be thankful for. One of the things we had to be thankful for is our players. We wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for those players. So, what I want you to do is tell me a little bit about your current team, kind of the makeup of your current team, where they're from, what their names are, and and also kind of how the fall season went. I've seen the results, but to you, how it went.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the things I'm most thankful for is the opportunity to coach and lead. I think, um, uh, coaching and teaching has been in my blood and it's something, you know, I got started in coaching when I was 22 years old. So it's, it's just something I've had great teachers and coaches, and I'm just forever, every day grateful for the opportunity to lead young women, um, you know, and to de- really to develop them more than just golfers as people. So thankful for my team. We have a pretty big team this year. Actually, we have 12 on our team and mm. it's pretty well spread out. Um, I'm going to go three through each one of them, but we have two seniors, one graduate senior and one senior. Mano um, Donch is from France and she transferred from Kansas state for her last year as a graduate student. Um, Great player. She played at Daytona State College and won a national championship, actually, there her sophomore year. So we expect a lot from her in the spring and um, just think she has great potential for us this year. Our other seniors from outside of Wichita in Wellington, Kansas, Hannah Hawks.
0: I know and, Wellington very well. One of my college uh, teammates and roommates, uh, Scott Templeton, was from Wellington. Love Wellington, okay. Kansas. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, um, she's been a member at Flint Hills. And so we had that connection and been able to get out to Flint Hills because of her, but great family. Um, just a die-hard KU fan. Um, so passionate about KU. She actually sung the national anthem at the final four in, in 2022 with our men's basketball team. So she's oh, got rock
0: shock there. Rock shock. Rock-
1: Rock talk. She's got m- many other talents um, outside of golf, but wonderful leader in person. And then we have four juniors on our team. We have one transfer from Incarnate Word, who's from the UK, Lily Hurst, who played every tournament for us this fall. Um, we have a player who transferred from LSU two years ago. Lauren Clark from outside of Orlando, Florida, has played every event for us this fall. Uh, Jordan Rothman. From South Africa, she's a junior and she played every event for us this fall, had an individual win at Denver at the Ron Moore Invitational and actually set the lowest fall scoring stroke average in program history Um, goes back to 50 years of division one golf for KU Um, had a great fall Uh, just under 71 is her stroke average and then our last junior Johanna Ebner from Austria. And she won the Austrian Women's Am this past summer and a strong player for us in previous years and this fall. So that's half of them. Half of them are upperclassmen. And then the other half, um, we have four sophomores, Amy DeCock from Palm Desert, California, Katie Ruge from Omaha, Nebraska, Anna Wallen from Sweden. And then Ruth Tonneson is another transfer that we got um, from Moorhead State, and she's from Norway really looking for these players to continue to grow and improve and hopefully step up and make the lineup here sometime soon this spring or in the next couple of years. Um, and then two great freshmen, we have Lila La- Lauderbaugh from Buffalo, Missouri, just outside of um, Springfield. She had a great freshman year, um, freshman fall, set the, the lowest score as a freshman at the UNM Dick McGuire in her second round shot 67. And I think she's averaging just right at, 72, just a little above 72. And then Lauren Pham from Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, So like I said, quite a big team, but what I love so much and what I'm so grateful for this team and and what they bring to this team is really five things. They're extremely passionate about the game of golf and And that's one thing I love about my players and love to coach. I love players that are as passionate about the game as I am. Um, I really think about golf and think about how I can be better and be a better coach all the time. So when you you have players that do the same, it just makes it that much more fun. Um, They're extremely coachable and confident. They're team players and they're very goal oriented. So we really talk a lot about our goals you know, process, performance, and outcome. And we're very transparent about where this program is going and where we want to end, end the season. We talk about rankings. We talk about where we want to finish each event. And they're all on board um, because they have that, you know, the talent of, of being very goal-oriented, um, high achievers. So love this team, love their work ethic. And really this program has grown a lot in the two years that I've been here just with the culture and, and the passion and, and everyone's really bought into what we're doing here.
0: Well, a couple of things occurred to me. One, you have already set some records for Kansas golf. They have done things, your teams, the last two years have done things that no other Kansas teams have ever done in women's golf. So that's great. You have a broad spectrum of international players, transfers and kind of middle America girls that grew up in the heartland. So, uh, you're you're all over the map there, literally all over <laughs> the map. <laughs> it's great. Yes. Um. Well. Uh. So. Uh. Before you got in the coaching profession, uh, you had a successful career at Tulane, and and actually might be noted you graduated three months before Katrina hit, so you didn't have to go through that. I had Tom Shaw, who was the men's coach there at Tulane, when when Katrina hit, on my podcast uh, several months ago, and Tom did an amazing job of talking about how he had to shepherd that team through and how other universities, SMU most notably, took care of the team. But you were a, an all-conference player all four years at Tulane. Uh, you played for Coach Sue Bauer, and you had a uh, really successful college career. So what uh, before you got to Tulane, who got you into co- or into playing? I mean, how did that all come about?
1: Yeah, you know, it's probably my dad. Uh, He was just an avid golfer, loved the game. Um, I grew up in outside of Denver, Colorado in Littleton, and he went to the University of Colorado Boulder, and we loved Colorado. And my dad really saw me only going to the University of Colorado to play college golf. Um, But he he's the one that got me started in the game. And then I have an older brother. He's about three and a half years older, and we would go out just the entire family go out every weekend and play at least nine holes together as a family. And I think that's where I really learned to love the game of golf and learned how competitive I was with my older brother. And that's something I I like to recruit as well. I love to recruit girls, ladies, women that have older brothers, older siblings, because I think there's just a competitiveness that comes out when you have that. Um, I probably wouldn't, have played golf for as long as I did, had it not been for my brother and my dad. So grateful for them for getting me into the sport and and grateful for my head, my head coach at Tulane that you mentioned, Sue Bauer, is really the reason I got into coaching and and why I stay into coaching is just the experience I had as her player. Um, Extremely special to me. It was pretty difficult going 1500 miles away, you know, to New Orleans Completely different culture, different life. I knew no one there other than Sue Bauer and knew her just a few months from the recruiting process, but she really took me under her wing and really made me feel like I was part of her family and all about relationships with her. Um, Even as a freshman, we'd go out every Sunday afternoon and play nine holes at English turn and it just made me feel like what I had done with my family and it made me feel like I was at home I had someone to talk to and I think that's where the trust really began is when we played golf together I felt like I could really learn from her and and be coached
0: well let's talk about what you did learn from her because you became a coach and you as you said it was early on you knew you would be a coach Uh, what did Sue give you uh, as a young coach because you were 22 when you started what are some of the things you, you gleaned from her that have made you a better coach
1: you know, I think the structure, the organization, the competitiveness, um, and just the passion, you know, I think everything I do, I do a hundred percent. And I think that's what Sue expected of me and of all of her players is that you were coming to Tulane for school and golf, you know, and there, there wasn't really time to, to do much else, um, being a, a high-level academic institution, and so I learned to just to take everything seriously that you do commit to. Um, there were times where I really thought about coming home and going back to the University of Colorado. The first couple months I was in New Orleans, I remember calling my parents and saying, "Mom and Dad, I, I think I made a, I think I made a mistake. Um, I need to come home. This is too hard. I'm on my own. Qualifying's hard. School is hard." Um, doing laundry and all the homework's hard. I, I need to come home. Um, but they didn't let me, which I'm glad I had to stick through it. But really, Sue's just wonderful. And like I said, it goes back to relationships. I would not have stayed and I would not have probably gotten into coaching if it had not been for her and her guidance.
0: Yeah, it's great to look back on a coaching series but also <laughs> a good lesson for young kids that when you go to this dream school and it's where you wanted to go and you signed a national letter of intent, there's going to be some homesickness. There's going to be some culture shock. There's going to be some things you're not prepared for. And the fact that your parents didn't let you come home and the fact that Sue shepherded you through that time probably is something you can you can actually lean into as you coach. Because you see it. I'm sure your freshman had some homesickness this fall.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And I think, you know, now more so than ever, they have more resources and, and people to talk to, which I think is great with mental health professionals and in the department. Um, but checking in on them and asking them and, and taking the time to go and practice and play with them. I know you're a big advocate on coaches continuing to to play, play with their players and practice you know, and put yourself in their shoes. I, I think that's great. And I think that's why I respected her is we would go out and play and she was still competitive, you know, 20, 25 years older than me. Um, it, it just helped me relate us, relate better to each other. And I think that is was really important in our relationship.
0: That's great. Uh, you're you're an 18 year old again. So you're going to college tomorrow. What would you tell your 18 year old self to get ready for that situation?
1: Yeah, You know, I think, I think a lot about that actually as a coach. Um, And I think a lot of how I coach is what probably I wish I would have done. (laughs) Um, And I think the biggest thing is to even, to be more coachable, um, to ask for help even more. I I probably did. I thought a lot, but I think there's more I could have done. I could have asked for coach, what do you think about this? Um, Who do you know that can help me with this? I just... Like I said, with all the resources we have now, it's easy to do. It's easy to get help, Um, but be more coachable, prioritize a little bit better, um, have the courage to say no. Um, That's a big one. I think as an 18-year-old, I think it's hard to say no, and it's hard to prioritize your goals over anything else. There's many distractions out there, but I think I could have done a better job of just prioritizing golf even, even more so. Um again, in the off season, I, I wish I would have experienced New Orleans a little bit more. You know, people ask me, how was the food? How was Jackson Square and, and downtown New Orleans and Bourbon Street? And I, I really never went off campus, to be yeah. honest. Um, I wish I had done more of that, especially in the off season. I wish I would have gone to more football games and baseball games and really experienced the student life in the off season. And then I think you'll like this one, Mike. I wish I would have journaled more. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I wish I would have wrote down kind of my experiences and and what I did well in tournaments and what I could have worked on and what swing thoughts I had, especially now as a coach. I would have loved to know what I was thinking back then um and what I thought of my coaches <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think journaling more would have been fun to to read now, but
0: Well, you know, I had our, we had our team meeting last night before sort of a Thanksgiving celebration and uh, my new assistant coach, Corey Donnell, wanted to see my journals. He wanted to see past journals and I had them all lined up in this closet um, from years and years ago. And he was stunned that I had put down so much detail and I kept on thinking, you know what, part of the reason I do journal is to go back and, and, you know, relive it or, Kind of see what I could learn from it. and it, it encouraged me last night that I'm going to go back through the last several years anyway and see what I was learning about players, what I was telling them. And I, I always encourage young coaches to journal, but not to write just to be writing, but to write things that they think would be valuable later. So, yeah, I agree. I would tell my 18-year-old self to journal and journal <laughs> for, you know, for your benefit, for, you know, to be a better person, a better player, a better coach, whatever it is. Um, so that, that's very good. You know, you mentioned being homesick and wanting to kind of go home early in your yeah. freshman year. I yeah. remember Charles how the third, when he was a freshman, it was my first year as the assistant coach at Oklahoma state. And Charles was kind of really crazy homesick. He, he had never been away from home. And, uh, and thankfully Coach Holder and I were able to get him through that first semester because once he got through the first semester, he was off to the races. Mm-hmm. And I think kids think it's going to be – I've had a current player on my team right now who was very homesick. I think if you can get them through that first semester, I think they'll realize, I, I've got this. I'm going mm-hmm. uh, you know, to make it happen. And you're thankful you went through those four years. Um, yeah. Biggest change you've seen in college golf since you played, and this could be good or bad or both, whatever, uh, what's something you you know has changed in a big way?
1: Yeah, I think it's obviously the coaching, right? 20 years ago, um, we only had one coach and coaches couldn't go on the green. So my coach was really only there on par threes. And the captains kind of served as the the second coach or the assistant coach. Um, so I think there's there's more people in the player's ear if you will, um, giving advice, good or bad, or confusing the player um, Hmm. more sometimes. Um, I think the facilities, obviously, the resources on campus. um, I love that there's more mental health professions and it's being almost normalized to see sports psychologists. I think that's really important. We didn't have that back then. And, you know, people kind of thought there was something wrong with you if you were seeing a sports psychologist like like I did my last two years at Tulane, um, which really helped. But you kind of made you made that uh, a secret or hidden because you didn't want people to know it it just had a negative connotation with it. Um, But I, I think we're getting to be a little bit too analytical and and maybe overthinking some of the game. Obviously, more than we did 20 years ago. You know, you have these green reading books. You have TrackMan and the Foresight Sports Quad that you travel with, and easy uh, to travel with lunch monitors that give you all these numbers. And I think you can think too much about the game, think too much about where you're trying to hit each shot, and Back when I was a player, we didn't even have range finders, you know, we had to actually do the math on on the whole locations from the middle of the green. So I think I I kind of I, I'm I'm torn. I think that there's some good things that that are happening now, obviously, with the resources that we have. But I think that we just need to keep the game simple. And that's one thing that, you know, we did 20 years ago is you just played more and reacted more and used your feel and I think players just get a little too caught into the mechanics, the technical, the, the overthinking, and less playing. Um, those are kind of the big things. But, um, yeah, and that's something I try to do with my team is take away the range sometimes, or they're not allowed practice swings, or they're not allowed to read the putt. Just get up there and hit it. You know, think more of how you were playing when you were 6 to 10 years old, just getting started in golf get the ball in the hole and compete and and treat it like a game instead of, you know, a, a problem you're trying to solve on every hole and overthinking everything.
0: You know, uh, two things there. One last year, I did that in qualifying on a course we had not played. So no, no range finder, finder on a, an unusual golf course you've never seen. And there were a couple of kids very upset with me. And I said, I understand why you're upset with me. It was probably unfair for me to do that on a course you'd never seen, but every tournament you play something surprising mm-hmm. unusual uh that shocks your system is going to happen if you're not ready for that I, i'm not preparing you for you know for golf but i i do agree that you know we're doing more technique work and more watching videos and more in the lab instead of out playing the game i mean it's kind of one of the only sports where you where they think that most of the training should occur outside the the field of play and i'm thinking gosh the field of play that's mm-hmm. what we when I was a kid, in fact, if you look at it, old-time golf courses have driving ranges that just fit in someplace. There weren't driving ranges. You mm-hmm. just went and played the game for yeah. learning. Anyway, I know we're yeah. never going to go back to that, but <laughs> there is some value in that, I really believe. Best piece of advice you've ever received from another coach? And this could be somebody you compete against. It could be somebody you played for. Just a great piece of advice you'd never forget.
1: Yeah, that was... That's a tough question because I've received so much good advice. And I think that's why I stay into coaching. I I love to learn and I love to get advice from, from my fellow coaches. But the one that stuck out the most was when I was transitioning from being an assistant coach to a head coach. And this was from the current head coach at the University of Georgia, Josh Brewer, who hired me as his assistant. I was only there for six months, but Hired me there as an assistant back in 2012, right when he became the head coach at Georgia from USC. He'd won the national championship there the year before. Um, And he told me, you know, he was happy for me going back to the University of Denver, but but sad to lose me right in the middle of the season. But he said, you know, just you got to be very confident with your decisions and set high expectations and standards early on. And to not be afraid if the players get upset with you, um, you're not going to please everyone. and and really don't don't try to be their friend. Your job is to make the team better and to do what's best in the best interests of the program. And I think that really hit home to me, you know, it's it's more about being respected and doing my job and helping these players learn and grow, even though it's hard to hold them accountable and discipline them at times, I'm not there to be their friend. I'm, I'm really there to help them grow. And I think that was probably the best advice at the time, because being in a, an assistant coach for seven years, you know, I probably had great close relationships with my players more so than a head coach wouldn't, would would Um, so I think just being confident in my decisions and, and knowing and explaining that I've come to this decision, I'm the head coach and this is what I think is the best interest of the program.
0: How old were you when you became a head coach at Denver?
1: I was 29.
0: Okay. So I was still coaching high school golf at that time. And I'm pretty positive I would not have been ready at 29 to have been a Power 5 or, you know, just a head coach at any level at the at the college level. I was a good high school coach, but I don't think I had the what you were talking about, the true belief that my decisions, you know, I could stick by them. I, I knew what I knew or I thought I knew what I knew, but I don't think I was a great coach. I think I learned that when I went to work for Mike Holder because he was so direct and he told me. Mm-hmm you know, you got to deal with these things. And I think I always push things to the side. One of the greatest learning uh, bits of advice I got from Mike was you deal with issues. Do not let them fester. So Josh Brewer gave you some good advice there. It sounds like you've listened to him. Um, Speaking of great coaches. uh, Bill Self at the University of Kansas is one of the great basketball coaches in college basketball history. And I've known Bill since 1979. He was a high school student at Edmond High School, where I, was go- I wasn't going. I was going to school. I was going to Central Oklahoma in Edmond, and I was working at Kicking Bird Golf Course, and he was one of the little, little kids or young kids in Edmond who played golf also. Um, obviously more of a basketball player, but he played golf, and I got to know him then. You've been around him or seen him for a couple of years now on campus. Have you had opportunities to learn anything from Bill, and if so, what?
1: Yes, I have. Um, He's possibly one of the nicest guys and most energetic, remembers everyone's name, takes the time to talk to you, um, but one of the nicest coaches I've ever been around. Um, And he's so passionate about this university. Um, When he first came here, you know, I look back at videos when he was first hired at his press conference and him saying how special KU is and he truly believes that even today and he's done a, a remarkable job with the basketball team here. So anytime I get the chance to talk to Bill, um, I take it all in, but I think the biggest uh, thing that he does with his program and what I've learned from him is his boot camp that he does before every season. So preseason, he has a three-day boot camp where it starts at 5 30 AM and it goes all day long for three days straight. And his, Coaching philosophy on that is that he's going to make the practices harder than the competition and, and games, and he believes that this boot camp prepares them both mentally and physically for the hardest uh, spot and time in a game that they're ever going to be position they're going to be in. You know, if they have to make a free throw with one second left, he says this boot camp is going to help them prepare for that. Now, I understand it's it's more than that, but. I decided to try that out this year, actually, and it wasn't as physical or as mental, mentally exhausting as what he does, but we did a little training camp uh, over Labor Day for four days, and we played, the, I think, the toughest courses in Kansas, and we started off at Topeka Country Club, went to Wichita Country Club, Flint Hills, and then we finished at Prairie Dunes mm. in 25-mile-an-hour winds at Prairie Dunes, which I'm sure you've experienced, Mike. Um, <laughs> but we played four days in a row and that was our qualifying and it was only those four rounds and we take the low five scores to to our first event which we we played really well there. I think that prepared them and gave them confidence just like Bill expects of this boot camp. They come back more confident and more mentally tough and ready for the season. And Bill has a way of of coming from behind in multiple games and winning. And I think that just shows the mental toughness of his players and how they trust the leader and the decisions he makes. So that's my one thing is just the boot camp that he does and and the meaning behind that and really how it does prepare his players and hopefully mine. And they believe that for the upcoming season.
0: Well, that doesn't surprise me about Bill. What a great coach. And um, he's got Oklahoma roots that I obviously do as well. Um, I've followed his career closely all through the years. So I know you and your husband, AJ have our proud parents of Lucy and Jordan. So you have a couple of kids, a couple of things. One, do they play golf? Do they like golf? And two, how do you balance? How do you juggle being a mom and and being a coach? Because if you're going to be a great coach, there's a lot of time you have to invest. But if you're going to be a great parent, equally, you've got to invest a lot of time. How do you balance that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, First, my kids do play golf. And so there, Jordan is six and Lucy is nine and Jordan's my son. And he absolutely loves golf. We are fortunate to live on a golf course on a par three. So he'll go out almost every night and go chip or putt. And, um, he competes in the U S kids golf in Kansas city over almost every Sunday, there's a tournament. Um, so he has that, that passion for golf, which I'm so glad that he does. Um,
0: Has coach Bermel had a, uh, had a home visit yet or not?
1: Not yet. Not yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just making sure.
1: Yeah. Um, And then my daughter, Lucy, she's nine. She's kind of all over the place. Um, That's her personality kind of into everything, but hasn't really focused yet on, on golf. Um, She, she's more of a, a busy person. So she likes to run and, and jump and cheer and, Um, so we'll see where, where, where golf will lead her and potentially in the future. I don't know, but my husband, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so grateful for my husband. I think that, you know, Thanksgiving week, I would most definitely not be where I am today without him. And the really cool thing about AJ is, um, he was an athlete in college and played professionally for the San Antonio Spurs and Summer League, had great mentors and went on to be a coach in college. So he coached at the Air Force Academy. Then he coached at the University of Denver, where we met and then went on to coach a couple high school teams after that. Um, but really, he's my he's my rock. And I could not be a coach without him. And when we made the move from the University of Denver to the University of Kansas, you know, AJ had to give up a lot. He had to give up his true passion of coaching. And he was coaching at Valor High School, which is in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and um, building that team just like he had done it for De La Salle High School and his alma mater a couple of years before that. So he was on a roll and loving what he was doing and coaching. And then this job came up and he supported me and said, We'll make it work. You know, I'll take care of the kids moving away from family was, was very difficult. We don't have family here. So having to rely much more on my husband, AJ, now more than I did at the university of Denver. Um, So he takes the kids to school and picks them up and he coaches all of their basketball teams, arranges their soccer practice and softball and golf and all the sports that they're in. Um, And he listens to me. And I think that's the, that's the biggest thing is he listens before I make any decision with the program, you know, I run it through AJ. He's, he's like my, my, my first assistant, um, but very supportive, but it's just a perfect match because he gets what I'm going through having been a coach and player. Um, but the, the, the mom coach life balance is very difficult and I'm very open and transparent about how difficult it is. Um, having two kids trying to build, you know, my coaching career, I had Lucy in 2014, and I started coaching as a head coach in 2013. So trying to make a name for my programs and build my programs and be the best possible coach I could um, was very difficult for me while having a kid. Because like I said, Mike, I'm 100% all in. If I set a goal, I will work hard towards that goal until I achieve it. And um, I would say I'm Right now, I, I never think I'm 50-50 with as a as a parent and a coach with my time and attention. I, I think that's really hard. But I would probably say I'm a better coach than I am a mom um, right now because I'm, you know, trying to build this program at KU. But I think the off season is extremely important for me to spend time with my kids and my family and go on trips and vacations and go to their games and you know, sometimes I miss practice and I miss meetings to go to be with my kids because I think that's really important, um, but it's extremely difficult. It doesn't matter if you're a mom or your dad, being a parent and having a, a career and balancing both is, is just a big challenge, but it's the people around you and it's the family and support that you get, not only from, you know, my husband, AJ and my parents and his parents, but from the, the place you work. Um they're incredibly understanding here at KU and they want my my kids and my family to be at games and you know come to a bowl game and come to the volleyball game, bring your entire family. That's what we do for entertainment here at KU is we bring the whole family along and they come with me on on trips as well. And so just trying to to intertwine both of them, if you will, and really make my family and my kids as well as the golf family and my ladies, one big family um, is really important to me. And those are the, the two things that matter most to me in my life right now is my team and my family.
0: And your team has become part of your family, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I thank you for all of that. Uh, I know it's not an easy uh, balance. It's never easy. Uh, but it sounds like to me you're handling it quite well, you and AJ together. Um, I know you're a regular listener of Better Than I Found It. So you've been listening since the early times when I've, I think I've, you're going to be about the 174th episode that I've had. And um, I never expected it to go this long, but I've had some favorite episodes where I feel like I learned a lot. I feel like I learned something from every coach, player, whatever it is I have on here. But what are your some of your favorite episodes or things you've you've gotten from this?
1: Yes, great question, and thanks for asking because I think this is really how we we connected is um I asked you a few weeks ago if if I could if I could get a hold of your book better than I found it and that's how I first learned about you was through that book and i my assistant at the time had the book and I read it and gave it back to her, but I never had my own copy. So I asked you for one, you sent it right away. And I'm very appreciative of that. Had the chance to read it again. So there's a lot of um, overlap there with your book and your podcast, but what I like so much, and I just love to learn. I think I love to learn from other coaches and obviously from you (laughs) and the career that you've had and winning three national championships and, and building so many great programs, it's it's really motivating to me to read and to listen to your podcast makes me want to try new things. And, and I feel like I can be a better coach when I listen to these. There's many things that I can do better. But I think my my favorite podcast is, I think it's the fourth or fifth podcast that you ever did. It was the fall of 2020. So we were going through COVID. We, you guys weren't sure if you were going to play. It was you and Mikkel. And I think the title is something about being a lifelong learner.
0: Mm-hmm. That's it.
1: And um a couple of takeaways I, I really liked. And the main point of that was that you just had an honest discussion with one of your players. He was a sixth player on your team, Colin.
0: Colin Coburn. And,
1: yep. You had a an honest discussion with him about what can I do better? What can you do better? Are you happy here? Um, and every player that it sounds like every player that you've had, you promise them three things that you're gonna help them graduate you're going to help them prepare for professional golf if they choose to go that route and that the love of the game will be as much or better when they graduate in your program. And that really hit home for me and, and his response as it did for Mm -hmm. you, I'm sure of just not loving the game and loving where he was at, loving workouts, loving, being coached, loving practices and, I think that's a great lesson for me that I learned from you is to be able to learn from the best around you. Don't think that you know it all ever and to continue to be a lifelong learner. And I remember on that podcast, I think you were 60 at the time, you said, I'm going to be a better coach when I'm 70 if I continue to learn. And I continue to ask my players and my assistant coaches like you did with Brian Goots, you know, having honest feedback and honest conversations. What can I do to be a better coach? So that's by far my favorite podcast, um, just because it really hit home with me, you know, and you encourage coaches to journal and reflect, which you did, I think, between your time from Oklahoma State to Alabama, it sounds like you had a lot of time to reflect on what you could do better. And I think every coach needs to take the time in the off season to sit down and really reflect on what went well, what can you get better at, ask for an evaluation. I think it's really hard to do and it can be very humbling, but I think it needs to be done. Ask your players, ask your assistant, what can I do to be better? Because ultimately we're here to serve our team and our players and we need to be at our best. Hmm.
0: Well, <clears throat> I remember doing that podcast. I really remember the conversation with Colin because I don't I don't think my career has ever been the same since Colin and I had that conversation because it, it, he he actually spoke to me as honestly as a kid can speak to a coach and do it respectfully. And he was basically telling me, I, I hated the game of golf this spring and you didn't do anything about it, coach. and you didn't help me get through that. So I, I think that's wonderful, It's valuable. But I also think what you just mentioned about getting better, being a lifelong learner, improving yourself. So you probably have had an end of the semester meeting with players and you've given your expectations of what you think they should do over the break to get ready to come back in the spring. We all do that. One of the things coaches fail on, in my opinion, is doing the same. The players should be able to expect you to get better over this break. That doesn't mean you're going to seminars 24 seven for 30 days, but what are you going to do to get better over the break? Have you decided? Because I know I
1: have. hmm And so mine is reading, and mine is preparing the team for our next reading assignment and how we're continuing going to continue to build a culture. So I love going to Coaches convention. We have some really good speakers this year with Tim Elmore and Dan Rooney. Uh, that's one of my favorite times to reflect and to take notes is at that convention. I love listening to speakers um but we're we're going to be reading a book uh by John Gordon called Training Camp over break and then we're going to have the girls um present on it over MLK weekend when we do another training trip um but i'm always thinking about how can i build this the culture of the team how can i be better as a leader how can i lead? encourage them to lead as players on the team. I, my ultimate dream as a coach is to have players come into my office and say, hey coach, can I lead the practice? Can I leave a team lead a team building session? Can I be a leader on this team? Come and tell me that you you want to lead or that you want to play? Come have the confidence and have a conversation with me as my ultimate goal as a coach. I want to hear from them. So the more I can instill these values of of having confidence and courage to lead, Um, you know, it inspires me to, to just to be better and find better ways for them to have that confidence to be able to do that, because I think they're going to carry that on later in life with, you know, job interviews or speaking engagements that they have to do. So if they can learn it now, um, you know, that would, that would make me really happy as a coach and feel like I fulfilled my role as their, as their mentor.
0: Well, how about conflict resolution? Being able to talk to an adult. Yes. Yes. This is what I think. This is what I feel. What do you think? I think, I don't think we give kids off often enough and a space there to do that. And that's one of the beefs I've had with the transfer portal is that they basically don't have to come in and have a meeting with the coach. They can pretty much bypass that by putting their name in the portal. I've said that from the beginning, I'm okay with the portal. It's fine. But there should be a meeting between the coach the player and his parents, and maybe a, a, a you know an administrator or somebody else. I just think it'd be wonderful if a kid could say, Coach McGraw, this is what I think. And if he had the courage to come in and do it, we could we have to give kids that skill because it's important in life.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, you mentioned off season, and you and I talked about this before the podcast. I used to call it off season as well. So you know, November first through January twentieth or whatever. Uh, Then I started calling it another season with the guys. Uh, It's another season. It's just, you know, you've got the fall season, another season, and then the (laughs) spring season. Uh, But my new assistant coach, Corey Donnell, gave it another. He said, Coach, I I don't completely agree with that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I think it's a growing season. It's like we've had this fall, but now we've got to grow to get ready for the spring. I love that term. We used it in our team meeting last night. What do you think? What do you call it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, I will be calling it a growing season now, (laughs) Um, but I do call it off season, but I I think you're right. I think it's giving them the space to grow and encouraging them to do it. And I think sometimes, you know, they're, they're only 18 years old. They're not going to come to you and give you all these great ideas. I think as coaches, you need to ask them, you need to sit down and ask them their opinion, what they think. And a great book that I, I read called um, Generation Z by Tim Elmore, Unfiltered, I think it's called, um, talks about that generation and what they really, how they learn best and what they really want. They want to know why, but they want a voice. And they want to be able to give feedback, um, not only just receive it, but to give feedback. And I think it's really important for coaches nowadays to understand who we are, who we are coaching and our students. And to give them a space and offer that so that they can feel valued and important.
0: That gives me uh, more excitement to hear Tim out at the convention. Yes. I actually heard him speak about 10 years ago when I first got to Baylor. Uh, He's really, really good. I look forward to hearing him again. Okay, so it's not an off season. It's going to be a growing season for (laughs) you and me and our athletes. Tell me about your spring schedule. I know what ours is. What, What does yours look like?
1: Yeah. We, we kind of go all over the place and we start pretty early. I've always been a big believer in just getting out early. I've hosted a tournament in Arizona at Superstition Mountain probably for the last eight years. Um, they're going to host regionals in 25. Um, so we actually host January 22nd, just Mm. a one day event, five teams. We got UCLA, Arizona, ASU, Kansas, and Baylor. And just a nice 18hole stroke play event um, to get the season started. Then we go to Central Florida a couple of weeks later, so early February. And I like to space out our tournaments kind of every other every two weeks, every three weeks in the spring. Um, just being in Kansas, you never know it could we could have a little bit of snow. We could have 65 degree weather. but if we have something on our schedule where we're going down to Arizona or Florida and warm weather, You are excited and you're motivated to be practicing hard. So um, then three weeks later, we go to Westbrook, the end of February, which is a great tournament outside of Phoenix in um, Westbrook Village in Peoria, hosted by University of Wisconsin. Then we have a little break, take our midterms, go to spring break. We go to Florida State, um, the middle of March. Then we go to Arizona State, the end of March. Then SMU and Baylor are hosting at Dallas Athletic Club the 1st of April in a match play event. And then we have our conference championship. uh, I think it's April 18th through the 20th at Houston Oaks.
0: Boy, you're going to love Houston Oaks. Have you ever been there?
1: (laughs) Yeah, two years ago.
0: It's wonderful. Good, great place. Well, that's a great schedule. Kind of uh, spaced it out quite nicely, but also a bunch of great venues and great teams to play against.
1: Yeah, That's great.
0: Well, Lindsay, I appreciate you spending this uh, 45 minutes or so with me. It's been great to get to know you finally uh, a little bit better. I appreciate you listening to this podcast, reading my book. That was nice of you. And uh, gosh, I wish you the best of luck this spring. If you see Bill Self in a hallway someplace, tell him I said, hey.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Mike.
0: Absolutely. Best of luck.
1: Thanks. You too.
0: You bet.